Hello, this is Laurie McGilvery, Julianne Nandell, and Simon's away today. He's busy working on another big project this weekend. So we have today with us a really special guest, James Latrobe Bateman. He's co-founder and CEO of Remodel International. And I have the very good fortune that he's also my business partner. So today he's going to share with us some really interesting topics, topics that Julianne and I go really, really deep into all the time in everything that we're, we're talking about and teaching. And James is going to share with us from another perspective what Julianne and I work in hugely is paradigms and perspective. James is going to add models into that. So we're going to have models, paradigms, and perspectives. So we're going to get from James' perspective how all this fits together. You ready, James? Great to see you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. <laughs> So can you share with us a little bit? We had a really, um, uh, really interactive, fun uh, event last year, Impactology event. And during that event, you shared um, your perspective about models. Can you share what, tell us about that? I, I have a little bit on the screen when you're ready. There's a little sneak peek of it on the screen. Um. Yes, models, models, models is my thing. Um, it's kind of what I do, you know, we're made that way and I guess it's the way I'm made. But here's the funny thing, actually it's the way you are made as well, but I'm just probably a little bit more aware of it. So just to throw in a complete um, teaser to start off, um, what you see with your eyes is actually a model. In fact, um, what you really see inside your head is a kind of 3D uh, cinema screen because when you work out how the light gets to your brain, it, it's not a direct projection. It gets there, it gets processed. So in the process, your, model your, your brain has created a model of the world. And uh, when you see stuff, it allows you to recognize what you're looking at. Now, um, this is a slightly perverse way of thinking about things, but it's actually really profound and we haven't got time here to go into it. It would be lovely to talk about this another day because um, a lot of uh, the question of what is real is a really big question. Um, certainly here, so there's three of us, two dimensional pictures here. You know, we're, we're, uh, we, are, we think we believe ourselves to be real. We live in some kind of real world, but in fact, what well, the reality is not this TV screen, and it's the same with what we see. So um, models. The thing that's useful about models is that, it, in fact, without models, you would be lost. You wouldn't even be able to walk, you know, or or see anything or imagine things. You would have no picture for things. So models uh, can be really good ways to get people to understand things particularly a good way to get people to understand the same thing about things so if you've got a a question an issue that you're trying to explain um to lots of people who may not probably aren't on the same page um using models is a really good way of doing it and one simple example is this um when i was at 
college at Cambridge University. Um, this is long enough ago that we didn't really have many entertainments, to be honest. But in our college, we did have two things. We had a, a table football machine and we did have a pinball machine. Now, um, I'm actually expecting everybody to know what a pinball machine is. But Laurie's got a picture of a kind of model pretend one. It's not really a pretend one. It's a, it's a toy one, actually. I don't know if you can put that up, Laurie. Um, and I'm going to use this model of the pinball machine as a model of life or how life could be in order to illustrate a few points about um, your life and how you might improve it. We had this pinball machine and I probably, you had to put your money in, you had to put some money in of course to make it work, um, but I probably only had a couple of goes on it because I find pinball machines immensely frustrating. It seems to me it's pure luck basically and I know there are people out there who can make them uh, score highly but to me it just seemed like a waste of money you know um, and it, what it boils down to is this how does it actually work how do you how do you work it so you've got a, a ball um, on a on a spring and a plunger you've got a ball on a spring and you pull the the, the plunger back and the ball flies up over the top and it kind of meets a few obstacles and it bounces around uh, and eventually it falls to the bottom and you end up with a score. So one thing you have to do is to make sure you not only point the ball at the right in the right direction exactly, but also pull the uh, plunger back just exactly the right amount. If you put it too hard, the ball just goes straight around the top and disappears down the plug hole and you score zero. <clears throat> if you don't pull it at all or you go, you put it at the wrong angle, it goes down through some place and maybe you score five. But if you really know exactly what to do, that ball goes up and hits one of these bumpers where it flies off. And then if you're if you really skillful, you get it to fly off one bumper and it hits another bumper. And every time it hits a bumper, it goes ping and you score another 30 points or whatever it is. And if you're really clever, you can get it to bounce between these bumpers and it kind of just goes ping, 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 like a kind of laser thing, scoring massive scores. In fact, if you know, if you've seen, um, if you know this Elton John song, probably wasn't Elton John originally, uh, Pinball Wizard, somebody else, you would, you would know, uh, Julianne, you're a music person. Um, uh, you, can, you, can, uh, you can really score massively. So I'm it was frustrating to me because it's like, if you think of this as an analogy for life, uh, you start off in life in a certain direction with a certain force. And to many people, that kind of determines where they go. You know, if you go off, if you are launched into life in the right direction with the right force, you encounter these obstacles. You kind of design your life to encounter these obstacles, whether it's going to college, getting a jo good job, uh, having a profession, uh, you know, being a singer, whatever it is, scoring points. But eventually it comes to an end and you drop down the uh, the, the plug hole and that's it folks that's your score and this is to me too much uh, it's too random you know it's too uncertain and but for many of us this is the way we see life I think actually. now there is something about this that is not in the pinball machine which is really critical to life as we are trying to explain it on these uh, mastermind 
forks because um, there are two things about the pinball um, setup that are actually potentially changeable. The first thing is the actual um, pinball setup. You can take the pins out and rearrange them. You can put them somewhere else. You can put the bumpers somewhere else. You can have a different flipper. You can have you can rearrange the actual uh, machine, which in, which would potentially increase your chances of getting a good score. And if you want to think of that as being, we can all work to make the world better. It's it's a way of saying we're making the world better so that people coming into this world will have a better life than we had because we basically rearranged the pins on the pinball machine of life, the kind of environment, the life, the world that we live. So that's one thing that's kind of um, a possibility. But the other thing that's a possibility is about the ball itself. If the ball is you, if you have the ability to change your own direction, in other words, if you are not, what you do in life is not determined by how you were launched, but if in fact you find yourself going in a slightly wrong direction or you want to change course in your life, potentially you have, if you had the ability to change your own course, then you could affect your success in life, if I can call score success, uh, without changing the environment. Clearly, um, if you could do both, then everyone would be better. Everybody would be better, and you would be better. You would you would be better too. So a lot of the um, so this is what I mean is a model of life. It's just making two points. One is we're here to make the pinball machine score higher automatically really regardless of how you launch into life but we're also here to try to steer ourselves to a better course through it so um, a lot of personal development really is about steering yourself but a lot of what you hear people talk about like um, Laurie and I are just on a Jacqueline Novogratz moral uh, remind me what the course what the program's called I forgot moral, moral leadership, moral leadership course at the moment um, where she's really talking about changing the world you know doing things that change the world which is really about rearranging the pins on the pinball machine so uh, but in order to be better at rearranging the pins on the pinball machine you need to be better at redirecting yourself you know you need to have that skill as well so uh, that's a model to try and explain a point so having you can all everybody can visualize a pinball machine they can play with it in their mind they can see the ideas that i'm talking about if i had said those things in the absence of that pinball machine model it would have been harder for you to get what i was talking about okay so that's models and in fact that's really what what i do professionally with uh, corporations is help them to see a situation in um in a way that others can see it and that makes them it easier for them to do the right thing we've got some other stories about that which we could tell at some point but not today so that's so, um so basically we think in pictures and you create the you create a model for people to visually see and understand something clearer and in in creating that model you're helping shift the paradigm that that they're trying to move through move to 
Yes, you're starting from a kind of common understanding. They may not agree with your assumptions uh, or, you know, um, the basic uh, rules of the game, but at least you can get on the same page and understand from the same perspective what the consequences are of changing your course or moving the pins or, or pulling harder or changing direction when you set off in life. You know, it makes you think about all of those things. So, so and then creating and working basically with uh, a common a common ground a foundation yes. with 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 the model so that um, that you find uh, some some sort of foundation whether um, whether that individual agrees or uh, can identify with but to some uh, extent uh, they they can possibly identify with it and then exactly and then mm, of course they they have their own uh, beliefs uh, and their own uh, challenges, challenging beliefs and limiting beliefs, of course, that that mm, might um, might be a little bit the the challenger for for the common ground. But uh, but getting always back to the model helps um, to pull them back in, right? Exactly, and uh, you know what tends to happen is they say the model is wrong because. And then you get to some agreement about how the model is wrong, and so you refine the model so that you get more people on board. Um, but it's a way of starting the conversation, if you like. And it's a, it's an intellectual, it's a conscious thing. You're not playing with people's emotions. Uh, you're not you're not targeting their subconscious terribly. You know, you're not challenging that. It's a it's an intellectual exercise. So there's no particular reason why people should put up a resistance, you know, to the idea, to the ideas that you're putting forward, because you're basically saying, these are the assumptions, this is what it logically would lead to, therefore, you know, and they can say, well, we'll challenge the assumptions, we don't like the model, but okay, let's come up with a better one. So it's it's a really good starting point for um, change, because you kind of need to know where you, where you are, you know, you need to have some framework for it. You know state of things the other thing that it does is um, in working with a team you have basically different silos within a corporation or a company and everyone is very focused on their particular silo and you're able to help visualize that particular silo and its functioning and someone else in another silo is able to understand that one better through this and everyone is inputting from their own perspective all sitting around the table as a team and and you're saying okay that's that's pretty pretty close to my silo how it how it really looks and functions once you get to that point and then as you add the other functions into it they can see how they interact and impact each other. You know, this is all about impactology as well. We need to throw that in. There's so many layers in every one of these conversations we get into. The impactology and how what I'm doing here is affecting Julian's team on the other side of the, the factory, say, the other side of the company. And 
And when I make this change, it's visual. It is, it's crystal clear. Everyone is looking at the same picture and they've, they've said, yes, my silo looks correct to me. So that's validated. So you can't question um, Julianne's silo without Julianne saying, no, 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 my silo, my silo, my silo is correct. <laughs> you have to challenge your own then. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so yeah. you know, then you can't say, Julianne doesn't know what she's doing over on the other side of this place. She has no idea because we hear this all the time. Let me tell you, when you can't hear, you can't believe how many times we hear somebody else is the problem. It, it just dissolves that. It completely removes, dissolves, makes a level playing field where everyone is in agreement and has validated their peace. And they can communicate in a way that they've not been able to communicate before. So it's so, communication as well. So basically it's um, taking your own self-discipline and, and work with yourself, on yourself, to the best uh, common result. And everyone yes. knows exactly uh, what they're working on in their own uh, niche, but doing it as a whole. That's it, that's it. It's 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 making a more dynamic team. It's it's mm -hmm. it's getting the buy-in all the way around from the whole that everyone is is comfortable and confident that the whole is functioning properly. Yes, and they can understand when when a, when a change is introduced, they can see it before it's a what if they can see it before it's ever happening that this is going to impact my area. This is what I need to be thinking about that I need to be looking at. If we're going to do this project, this is how it's going to impact me or not impact me. They can mm -hmm. see that before anything ever starts and they can plan and prepare. It's all, it, 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 when, you when you're able to help someone see things in a visual model in this form, you know, just like the, just like the pinball machine James is showing, it just removes so much angst and fear and and it isn't me it's you know because all these things are trickle and ripple it's it's impacting everything along the way well it and, is that we are thinking in in pictures as you said before and uh, and uh, if we don't really know what uh, what we have to think or what we should think if it's something uh, non-visible, non-tangible, then we are more likely to not um, stick to it or believe it mm -hmm. or uh, carry on with, uh, with, with what we should be doing. Absolutely. And, and when, when people aren't able to see this from the whole, from the big perspective, and there's all these little projects that everybody is mandated to work on to get their, their end yearly review or quarterly review is based on whatever their projects are, they're working on projects um, just in a vacuum that they think are only working on their own silo. But any anything you do, anything you do, if there are other functions that are going on, that ripple effect, what I'm changing here 
Julianne is going to be going on the other side going, I haven't changed anything. What just happened here? Why is this going haywire? Not realizing Lori made a change over in her particular area that the, the ripple and trickle effect is in so now impacting you, someone else negatively. Would you say, James, that um, with, with that um, model, um, yeah, uh, model uh, paradigm that communication is uh, is one key um, ingredient there. Or else it's always about you know it's always about communication. It's always uh -huh. about communication. So um, it's uh, it's just a way of starting the conversation. Yeah. There's a whole lot more we could talk about that. In fact, I'd love to pick up on some things. Um, but obviously, at the end of the day. You have to somebody has to change it's not just things that change people have to change and that's where i don't know i'm introducing the next topic maybe i should let laurie talk first so yeah we have 30 minutes to talk about hours you know days of of things that we train people on so the next thing is um i'm having a problem with these uh, the screen's coming up, so I don't know if you can see it. Um, quite a few years ago, James worked on a project um, that he called 15 seconds of silence equals 15 million year on year. And he create, he turned that into an article, and we'll be sure to, to put that article down in the um, the description comments just below all the replay here um, so James can you share that story because there is so much power and impact in it was it was models it was Socratic method it was paradigm shifting it was um, Oh, it it just it just rippled through so many different things, and it was like it happened instantly. Can you share that story of um, 15 seconds of silence, which equaled 15 million increase year on year? Yes, this is a story. Uh, it's really about a simple technique for helping people to change their minds about things. Um, the, way, the way the story goes is I was working in a head office of this manufacturing company, medical device company, and they had a problem in a factory about 100 miles away. Uh, and I was sent down to take a look to see if I could figure out what was going on and if there was anything uh, that could easily be done to fix the problem. Problem was they were making um, diagnostic kits. In fact, um, the same company makes COVID-19 diagnostic kits to this day. So, but they were making kits like that, and um, they couldn't make enough. So they had a problem with making more, uh, and uh, so the market demand was quite a bit higher than they had the capacity to make. So I went down to this uh, factory. I hadn't met anybody there before, uh, so I was new to these people they didn't know me from adam um and i went in with my stopwatch and clipboard you know in old style fashion and just uh 
stood around on the production line, the critical part of the production line where the problem was, uh, and just watched them for half a day. Now, in this um, in this particular cell, there were three or four people on. It was quite a small setup, small little room. They were kind of it was all a clean room, so you know people didn't come and go. You were in there for the duration, as it were. Um, and they work in this machine. It wasn't totally an automatic machine. It had lots of uh, manual things going on in it. And um, so I watched this and the people there, maybe we should start by talking about who the people were, because in the end, this is always a people problem, people issue. Or you think it, it, it always, yeah, it always boils down to that, even if you think it's a machine problem. So there were, um, there were really two, yeah, let's, let's say there were three characters, main characters. One was this guy, I'll call him Martin, um, who was, I'd been told, quote, uh, watch him, you know. <laughs> I think the, the, the supervisor had said, watch him, like he was the, quote, troublemaker, you know. Um, and then there was uh, someone else who was very much a follower, and there was someone else who was um, very uh, clever, actually, uh, but a good listener wasn't going to put herself out you know, wasn't going to put her, stick her head out, her neck out for anything. So, so anyway, uh, so it was Martin was the guy, this, this was the guy I was supposed to watch and um, uh, he was supposed to be the problem. So in the terms that we talk about, he was the guy with the paradigm that needed to be shifted, if you want to think of it that way, supposedly. Though so far we don't even know what the paradigm was and we don't even know what needs to be shifted, right? So anyway, I, um, I watched this machine for a few hours, made some notes, and I could see very, very quickly what, what the problem was. Now, it is not, it's never sufficient to simply say, I see the problem, and Mr. Martin, who knows it all, is never going to say, oh, yeah, you're right. In fact, what he said to me uh, at the very beginning, you know, when I first went in and I was introduced to him, he said, uh, he said I'll eat my hat if you come up with anything. In other words, he was completely skeptical about any possibility of doing. Um, so anyway, I could see what the problem was, and then unfortunately, I'd just been learning about the Socratic approach on some training course that I'd been on before that, just before that, and I thought, well, this is a case where we need to apply this because the point about the Socratic approach is that you ask questions in a way that the person you're asking answers them himself and in the end he comes out with the answer that you're looking for so it's not quite leading questions but you could think of it that way you ask questions in a way that when when people finally answer they own that answer they have to own that answer because you haven't told them what to say they say it themselves so anyway the, the issue was to do without uh, going into too much detail this was to do with a bit of a bottleneck in this thing and the bottleneck uh, so having seen them as a bottleneck, I, I then did a few little exercises with them. I took these three guys out. We went to coffee and we had a little chat, you know. Um, I, I first of all had to ask some questions. Did they understand what a bottleneck was? In other words, had they ever been in a traffic jam on a motorway, you know? Um, 
And so they were able to answer the question, when you answer the question, when there's a, where there's a, a traffic jam on a motorway, where is the bottleneck? And in fact, um, the answer is at the place where you start to move again. In fact, it's never, it's not where you're stuck, it's the place where you start to move again. So they understand, they understood conceptually what the issue was. I didn't need to prompt them on that. They got the answers to that straight away. So then I knew, right, they had the mental uh, wherewithal to, to grasp the answer when they got to it. So then there was the question, um, so they knew what, the, where the bottleneck potentially was. So then I said, um, so if you want to get the most number of cars through this bottleneck, what do you have to do? And they said, you've got to make sure there's always cars going through it. You don't want to have a point where um, people stop. You know, the proverbial robber necking that people do on motorways. I don't know if you know that phrase. You know, if there's an accident on the other carriageway, uh, people tend to slow down to look because it's a traffic jam, even though there's no problem with that particular piece of the road. Uh, you've got to keep moving. In fact, whenever I see an accident on the other side of the road, I say to myself, bottleneck, keep moving stay at whatever speed you know the guy in front maybe you know maybe right up on his bumper but i'm not stopping the person on you know what i mean um so so i i then said well what do you have to do to maximize throughput and and the answer which this is when i then had to wait uh, oh, i didn't quite this is the point at which um i had to shut up because i said what do you have to do to maximize Throughput, in other words, what do you have to do to keep the most going through this? This is the point at which you then go quiet and give them time to answer the question. Um, and it took, I, you know, I say it took 15 seconds for the guy to come up with the answer, but it was this guy, Martin, eventually came up with the answer. You have to keep it working all the time. He's talking about the machine. So he said those words, you have to keep it working all the time. And then I took out my notebook that I had and I showed him where this machine was not working. So during the, the few hours I've been watching it, I've made a note of when it was working, when it wasn't working, when it was working, when it was not working. And you could see on the record that I've got that for 25% of the time, at least, this machine was not doing anything because they were, quote, proverbially rubbernecking. You know, they were off doing something else. So he'd said, the answer, I showed him the numbers, you know, that I'd been recording, and then he he realized what the issue was. So, um, so the question then was, well, how are you going to do that? What's what's you going to do? And he came up with a they came up with a suggestion, um, which actually involved sort of rearranging what people were doing, but they came up with a suggestion. So they actually grasped the answer in 15 seconds at the end of the day or the whole team but particularly this guy martin who was the guy who was going to eat his hat fortunately he, he didn't have a hat to eat i don't think so that was all right but um what happened then was i went away i went back to head office and i said um it was like a friday or something i said um work the next day and then give me a call and tell me how much you made the next time you next shift you're working and um, I think they made 30% more with the same crew same machinery 30% um, more now I would not have been able to get that person to have 
shifted his paradigm. He had a, a paradigm in his head that this machine was running full out. He was working as hard as he could, and there was no way uh, you were going to get any more out of it. But in the end, uh, his mind switched. In fact, he became a big, big, uh, big fan. Actually, uh, for years afterwards, he was always very kind to me. Um, so, so that's an example of a Socratic approach—a really simple way to get people to change their mind, which is really what we're talking about when we talk about paradigm shifts. And I know paradigm shift is a big, big topic, which I'm sure we're going to come back to. It fits into some of our um, our thinking on models and paradigms, um, which hopefully we'll get a chance to elaborate on and talk about what the implications of that are at another another occasion. So that's uh, Martin that's that story. That? Martin said something to you quite a while after that. What did he say about his hat? He said he take took his hat off to me. Actually, I think he said. Take my hat off to you. <laughs> I don't have a hat to eat, but I take it off to you. I didn't believe you at all. I did not believe you. <laughs> but you see, I, I take it off to him. He was the guy that did it. You see. Absolutely. Absolutely. Exactly. You empowered him by yeah, but not showing too much so superiority, but by yeah, um, with simple questions. Guiding him to the solution, basically, and and he felt great. <laughs> he felt great, and it, it it lasted with him for years, actually. You know, until I left the company. In fact, even afterwards, he was a great advocate for all kinds of things. You know, changing things uh, after that. Um, so it shifted many things, and it's it's never one thing that you need to do when you start approaching these different um, changes. It's never one thing. This is why when we get talking in the 30-minute mastermind, it might feel like we're talking about so many. It is so multifaceted. And the things and the approaches and the layers and the way you have to approach these different things for the shifts to happen. And you are doing it mostly for yourself in the first yeah, place. And then absolutely. Absolutely. So it ripples out. Absolutely. For, for yourself and for the betterment of the whole. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're working in a corporation or a company, you need to be thinking you're doing this for the betterment of the whole, not just me, not just my silo. This is really about the betterment of the whole of the company because of our end client to get them the very best product possible to help their life, whatever that product is. And so that mindset shift is what needs to happen as well. That the end receiver of this, it's about them getting the very best possible in the, in the end with, with the highest um, um, confidence that you can and pride that you can put into it, what you're doing. We're at the end of 30 minutes again. Zoom. I'm <laughs> James, thank you, thank you, thank you for thank coming you. on today with us and sharing. Um, we definitely want you to come back and we'll get yes. into some more of these just fascinating, fascinating multi-layer, you know, individual and business and 
um, and paradigm shifting and oh, it's so you won't be able to really made me laugh in the beginning eh? when you said when you came on and you were saying I'm all about models. <laughs> <laughs> so much more and so much deeper that's just the simple that's the simple model of what he does i'll be honest with you i i think it, you know people say um the old elevator not even the elevator pitch but you're at a cocktail party and people will ask you what do you do you know maybe i should say that all the time <laughs> Uh, Julia, thank you. Great to see you again today. And we'll be back next week. And Simon should be back with us then as well. And I believe we're going to pick up where we left off last time on introvert, extrovert, ambivert. Exactly. Wishing you an amazing week ahead. And we'll see you next Friday. Have a great week. Thank you. Ciao. Ciao.